We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed lisa byington danielle slayton and katie witham became the first three women to exclusively lead a game broadcast for any of the five major u.s men's professional leagues the fact that this was even historic only serves to show how antiquated and entrenched the sports broadcast culture really is so here's to those that challenge and in doing so force change Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we will be talking about a historic day in sports broadcasting. We will have our Mossy Makes the Case segment. We'll be answering your questions in our Ask Alexi segment, and as always, so much more. But first, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mr. Mossy, how are you on this Monday morning? I am good. I'm excited to get the Bundesliga started this upcoming weekend. Uh, this past weekend, I enjoyed... Uh, some time off. I binge-watched uh, the first season of Succession, the new HBO series, which I loved. And I've also plowed through already all eight episodes of the Manchester City Amazon series. These are things you can do when you don't have a life, Alexi. Wow. That sounds like uh, you have a lot of time on your hands. Uh, I am envious. I, as, uh, as you hear, I am still for one more week on the road. I will be returning to Los Angeles, my home, uh, and uh, the confines of our studio next week. We will be back in the saddle uh, in our more traditional setting in our studio in Playa. It will have been close to three months that I have been away from home uh, with my travel and with, obviously, the World Cup and everything. I'm looking forward to getting back to the City of Angels uh, and back in the swing of things back there. So from an audio perspective, we will be back, both of us uh, staring at each other and uh, talking into our normal microphones. Uh, and as Mossy mentioned, Bundesliga kicking off this week, so I'll be working Bundesliga with Mossy and, and our friends as we kick off our Carbon Fox of uh, Bundesliga. And then I'm actually coming right back out on the weekend uh, to New York. York to do a uh, New York Red Bulls versus DC United game. We'll talk a little bit more maybe about uh, DC United going forward. And then right back in it for any and all type of soccer that's out there. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to kind of putting a bookend to this incredible summer uh, that uh, I have been fortunate enough to live. All right, listen, Mossy, you ready uh, to light this candle? I'm ready. All right. As you know, each and every week we kick off the pod with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where we look at uh, a part of the game from an American perspective. 
This past weekend, we saw TV history on Fox's Major League Soccer game coverage of DC United versus the New England Revolution. Lisa Byington, Danielle Slayton, and Katie Witham became the first three women to exclusively lead a game broadcast for any of the five major U.S. men's professional leagues. Now, something like this, you pay too much attention, and you can appear patronizing to professional broadcasters who are eminently qualified in the field. But you pay too little attention, and you can appear indifferent or indignant to something that rightfully should be celebrated. It's strange because the fact that this was even historic only serves to show how antiquated and entrenched the sports broadcast culture really is. However, we are also in the entertainment business, and the way we say things is as important as what we say. Your appearance and your presentation matter as much as your content because the ear wants what the ear wants, and so does the eye. If you say honestly, that you enjoy a game less when it is being broadcast by a female voice, you risk being accused of being sexist. But if your history and your context when you're watching the game or hearing the game is relative to only a certain voice or an accent or a vernacular, it's natural to want to hear those same sounds that trigger an associated feeling of comfort or familiarity or enjoyment. And anything else would understandably be jarring. But recognize that you are a dinosaur. And like all dinosaurs, eventually you will die off and become extinct. In your place will be, and for many already is, a more evolved species of human in the form of a generation of soccer and sports fans whose ears and eyes are conditioned differently. Their enjoyment of the game is not relative to the sound of a male or female voice or an accent that's providing that soundtrack. But this generation will also establish norms. They will develop biases and they will desire familiarity. And someday those norms will also be challenged. So, here's to those that challenge, and in doing so, force change. All right, and that's my State of the Union for this week. Uh, Mossy, first I want to ask you a question. Do you think, when you hear me say that, do you think I'm pandering? Uh, No, Uh, I know you, and I know you feel strongly about this kind of stuff. Uh, I do want to get into the whole British thing, because you opened up that can of worms by saying accent, too, and I know that's something you feel strongly about. Listen, uh, I thought they did great. They were certainly an improvement over Fox's usual MLS commentators. Um, (laughs) I I agree with everything you said, but just to play devil's advocate, John McEnroe, back when he was a jerk, uh, famously questioned whether Mary Carrillo was qualified to call a men's tennis match, the argument being that men's and women's tennis are different enough that being a former women's player, you wouldn't necessarily be able to relate to what a man was thinking in a given situation. How do you feel about that with soccer? Do you think soccer, soccer, and if you know the game, you know the game, and it, it translates just the same? Okay, so uh, anybody that knows me, and you do, and anybody that's ever been out with me, oftentimes people will come up and want to talk soccer. And oftentimes they will preface it by saying, well, you, you would know better than me. And I stop them right there in that tra- in their tracks, okay? That I have played at uh, what we quote unquote call a uh, a higher level that I have done things that you or others haven't done in the game, at least in my estimation, does not qualify me anymore to be able to talk and to have an opinion and to be able to debate about the game. Do I have inside information that I can glean from having those experiences? Yes, but once again. When we are debating it, and certainly when we are doing it in an entertainment aspect uh, on television or on radio or on a podcast or something like that, 
I want people to have an opinion, and I don't look at them any differently because they may have played the game or not played the game or haven't played it at, at, at a level. So I don't buy that for a second. I have I have seen players, men and women, that have played at the elite level, that we would quote-unquote at the highest levels of the game, that have no clue what they are talking about. And... I have seen people that have never kicked the game even remotely close to the level that myself or others have kicked the, the ball that have incredibly nuanced and interesting and entertaining and smart takes about the game. So I, I when I especially when I started in television, I made a point of having having that opinion that I had held for a long time and using it every opportunity that I get. I don't care who's sitting next to me. I don't care what sex you are. I don't care what your uh, your background is. I don't care what, what level you played. I just want you to bring something to the table. And whether that is something that I agree with or disagree with, it, to be quite honest, is irrelevant. I want it to be interesting. I want it to be entertaining. And yes, I do want it to be informed. And you can be informed by watching the game. You can understand the game. We always talk about how simple a game this is and how beautiful a game is because of its simplicity. People get the game and people understand the game. But I think, I also think, especially in the United States, where we tend to be at times snobby and at times elitist and at times we don't open up the tent enough to people, and that's part of our problem. If you are going to shut somebody down because he or she hasn't played at a certain level or done something that you believe gives them the credibility when they're talking about it, then I think that that's shutting down the conversation and I never want to do something like that. But Mossy, let me ask you point blank. Do you enjoy a game or enjoy a game less when it is broadcast by female voices? Absolutely not. I'm a huge Allie Wagner fan. I love that uh, she got to call games at the World Cup. I thought she did a phenomenal job. Kelly Smith, too, crushed it in the studio. And, and other networks, too, I should say. I watched two Barcelona ICC games this summer against Tottenham and Roma. And uh, uh, Kate uh, Margraf, ho hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, she did both games. I thought she was outstanding. I mean, I, I hung out with Keith Cossigan and Ian Joy the next day, and I was I was gushing about what a great job she did and, and how prepared she was. So absolutely not. To me, this is not an issue at all. The wind has been blowing in this direction for a while in other sports, too. I mean, there's lots of examples. I don't want to leave anybody out, but uh, so I think we're going to see more of this. And I mean, you know more than me. I mean, you're probably privy to these conversations more than I am. Is this something that Fox, you think, is going to do more of moving forward? I mean, do you anticipate that being the case? I think so. I mean, I think because Fox recognizes quality, notwithstanding the fact that they hired me, but they do recognize quality and they want to make sure that that is uh, something that's consistent. But I'll ask you another question. If somebody doesn't like listening to a female voice when watching their soccer, and by the way, when I say somebody, it can be a man or a woman, because I've heard this argument for both men and women that they grew up listening to it in a certain way and they associate a certain voice. And this gets into, in a second, we'll talk about the accent because this is all part of this conversation. Do you think that somebody in not enjoying it as much is sexist in that approach? Yeah, I have an issue with that. It should be the content of what the person's saying. If, if it's just the idea of having a female voice and you have an issue with that, then I think that that is kind of sexist. <laughs> I don't know any other way to put it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so when, so when somebody who writes incredible lyrics then goes and sings and can't hold a tune, should we just uh, should we just listen to that? I mean, I, I I know I'm being a little bit glib and I'm a little bit flip here, but my, my point is is that in particular in the entertainment industry and in a performance industry, which is what we are in. You know, I, I, uh, I, I remember uh, when, you know, for example, the Scorpions, a huge band that, that I love, but 
the Scorpions uh, are a German band, and they a German band that sang in English. And at times, you would listen to the Scorpions, and you hear hear uh, Klaus Meine, the lead singer, pronounce things differently and stuff, stuff like that. And I know for for many people, some people had a harder time getting over that. And I would submit to you that while they are a huge international band. Um, sometimes that worked against them because there was a certain belief that this is the type of music and it's when it's sung in English, it has to, you know, have to pronounce the, uh, the, uh, the words correctly and all that kind of stuff. I'm a huge uh, Scorpions fan, but I, I get, I get, I, I get it. And I don't think it necessarily makes you sexist to want to hear something in a form that you are accustomed to hearing it and just saying, well, you should just look at the content and you, that should only be it. No, I think that I, I, I disagree with you, Mossy, when you say it should only be about the content, uh, especially when it applies to something that is a visual medium and something that is an audio medium, which is what we work in in television. And that's why I said that the way you say something on television is as important as what you say. And I think that you are being delusional uh, and I think you're being disingenuous by not associating that. Otherwise, you know, everybody, regardless of the way they, uh, they looked or the way they presented or the way they sang or the way they spoke would be able to walk on television as long as they had good content. So you think as long as somebody has good content uh, that it will, it will shine through when it comes to TV, radio, podcasting, whatever it ends up being. Well, no, I'm saying if, if somebody got on the air in one of those mediums and delivered good content and you said you didn't like it just on the basis of, of them being a male or female, then, then that, that to me is a little weird. I mean, I, I, when, I, when I tune in to watch, you know, it's different with music, but I mean, I think when I tune in to watch a sporting event, uh, I judge the analyst on the quality of their analysis, not necessarily how soothing their voice is. I don't know. That's just me. But Oh, stop, Mossy. You are judging it on how soothing or how that voice makes you feel. And this gets into, you know, the whole accent debate that we've had over the years. And I, th- I think we've, we, to a certain extent, have moved on from it. But there are, there are certainly people that I meet to this day that regardless of the content that myself or, I don't know, my colleagues like Kyle Martino or, or Stuart Holden or any of these, uh, these people or, or, or John Strong, regardless of how, how, uh, what, what he or she says... It's done in an American accent, and that is so grating and so um, different than what they are used to, and more importantly, what they want, that they have a hard time enjoying it. Well, yeah, the issue with Kyle is he's an American that tries to sound English. Uh, it drives me crazy when he uses words like gantry. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, so, well, so interesting. So you think we're, we're getting over the British thing? Because, I mean, Fox was dinged in certain quarters for its World Cup coverage. And I think it had a lot to do with that, the fact that there were so many American voices and people wanted more British. I mean, you think we're sort of getting over that issue or, or no, that it's still very much front and center in the... I think, we, I think we are getting over it, but I think it needs to be forced and it needs to be championed and it needs to be um, a, a goal, uh, both internally and externally, to say, you know what, if you have to... You have to get people to think differently. And that's why I said that there's a generation that you're not going to change their minds because that's what they grew up with. But that generation is changing. And look, we have seen, uh, whether it's uh, British accents, uh, whether it's uh, Midwest accents, whether it's uh, Greek American accents, whether it's uh, uh, you know Hispanic accents, all this kind of stuff. Whenever you hear something that's different than what you associate with normal or traditional, uh, you're, you're going to turn 
And oftentimes your first reaction is, well, this is not what I, what I heard before, and this is not what I like, and this is not what I associate with all those wonderful feelings, especially when it comes to sport, which evokes so many different emotions and passions. You, you want to be able to replicate that. And one of the ways that you do that is by having that soundtrack uh, be the same. And, and or be as close to it as possible. And, and so I, I always got that. But I do think that it's changing. But I do think that it, it, it's changing because it's being forced. And there is a generation that's going to grow up that is going to not care if it's a man or a woman or what, what, you know, what, what type of accent that, the, that he or she may have. But in doing so, we are going to create another tradition and another norm. And in doing so, we will create another generation that has biases. And I I won't be around, but at some point in the future, we'll go through it again, and 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 it'll change to uh, to to involve something different. But that's that's the way of the world. That's 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 a I think that's a good thing. But it doesn't happen by itself. You have got to change it, and you have got to change it generationally. I think people like Fox and other people uh, have been doing that and have been doing it well. Uh, one last thing for me, I actually exchanged emails with Katie Witham uh, this past week, and I found out that she is a big fan of this podcast, regular listener, which. Uh was nice to hear. Well, we have one, and uh, you know, as I as I as I said uh, before, I've worked with Katie and Danielle and, and so many wonderful women over the years uh, that know as much and in most cases much more than I than I know when it comes to the sport. And it's just a pleasure. And these are these are great broadcasters that just happen to be women. Uh, and there is a difference between being a great female broadcaster and just being a great broadcaster. And these are all great broadcasters. It was fun to see this uh, weekend. I hope we continue to do it. I hope that generation and 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 generations that have the ability to change uh, recognize that we're heading into a future that the voice of the game is going to be very different in terms of how we define it and what we want and what we associate with the joy and the enjoyment of how we listen and how we watch the game. And that is a good thing for our game in terms of its progress off the field. All right, moving on. Mossy makes the case. Yes, it's time for that segment of the podcast that we like to call Mossy Makes the Case. My good friend David Mossy makes a case about something that is bouncing around in his brain. What is in that brain of yours this weekend, Mr. Mossy, that you want to make a case about? Uh, My case is that La Liga is nervous and feeling the need to get creative. Um, La Liga kicked off this past weekend. All the matches were in Spain, but the big news late last week, they announced they intend to stage a match this season in the United States. And as you might expect, that was met with some uh, negative reaction in Spain. And uh, we can debate the merits of this idea. I'm sure you have some thoughts on it. But I'm more interested in the context in which this arises. Anyone that's listened to this pod knows that I think La Liga has clearly been the best league in the world the last few years. They have the Champions League and Europa League titles to prove it. But there's also no doubt the Premier League has been the most popular league in the world. And this has been a big topic in Spain, trying to make sense of this disconnect. Like, wait a minute, we have the best teams. We have the biggest stars, Messi and Ronaldo, playing every week. Yet the Premier League is much bigger. What is it? Do they just market their product better? And they have tried some things in Spain. They changed the start time to some of their games to make it more conducive for people in Asia to watch. They've changed the way the television money is distributed to try to make it a little bit more level playing field. But 
they're now dealing with two issues. First off, they don't have the star power they used to. They unexpectedly lost Neymar to France last summer. That was already a blow. And then a much bigger blow this summer, they lose Cristiano Ronaldo. And the second issue is they lost Ronaldo to Italy. And make no mistake, uh, in Spain, they're very concerned about this rejuvenated Serie A. Ronaldo's first Juventus game this past weekend was a global event. Uh, it was broadcast in like 150 different countries. It was a great game, a great advertisement for Serie A. And I read an interview with La Liga president, Javier Tebas, and he said, we are very nervous about Serie A. We feel like we're battling on two fronts now with the Premier League and Serie A. And so people might not like this U.S. idea, but we have to figure out new ways to sell our product or we're going to fall behind. So just deal with it. So that's the context here, Alexi. What, what do you make of this whole La Liga coming to the United States? I think that the decision, and it's only a decision, it's not, it has, it has to be approved by U.S. soccer. Uh, I think it's inspired. I think it is smart. I think it poses problems from an American perspective. But if I was La Liga and I needed to find ways to expand and find and to do interesting and new ways to get that brand out, especially you know with all the things that you listed that have gone against them when it comes to the star power and the general perception that it is a two-team league. And in many cases, that is the reality. And I know there's folks out there that are knee-deep in, in La Liga, and I, know, and I know you, Mossy, if you get into it. But that's the problem. And that's the difference between the EPL. The EPL, I think, does an incredible job of 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 churning day in and day out all of those narratives. All right, number one, you have English, and I think that is is an advantage. Number two, the advantages, uh, the the narratives and the stories on and off the field, they churn them week in and week out. They have a a, a media machine that plays them up. So even when the ninety minutes aren't happening, you are in and following the drama and the stories and the and the narratives that, that uh, with regards to the individual players that's huge the other part is the relative parity when when you put it up not against not against MLS but when you put it up against other leagues around Europe that they are competing in so all of those all of those things would indicate to me that if i'm not the EPL and even if i am the, in the EPL you have to continue to find ways to get that brand out there. So you look at the ATM that oftentimes has been the United States. You look at the emerging market that is the United States, the undeniable power that exists that is yet to be fully harnessed by anybody, both domestically or anybody coming over, except in those summer months when you get a couple of games here, here or there and you get to spread your brand out. So this is logical. It's it's also something that's happened in plenty of uh, with plenty of leagues and plenty of sports out there. From the opposite opposite perspective, U.S. teams or North American teams uh, playing games and meaningful games. These aren't friendly games in other places to uh, to kind of spread that brand. But this brings up the interesting question. And this is to the United States Soccer Federation that has to be involved in this decision to give permission for this to happen. The United States Soccer Federation at times has been under uh, some very valid criticism for their association and questionable association even at times between Major League Soccer and Soccer United Marketing. And they, they as the United States Soccer Federation, they want soccer to do well in the United States. So they have to ask themselves the question, is something that is detrimental potentially to the professional game that is trying to establish itself and its brand here, is it but is it but is it beneficial to soccer in the United States because the United States Soccer Federation at least on the surface is there to help soccer regardless of what form it comes 
It's there to advance and to promote and to market and to aid in the game of soccer getting bigger and better in the United States. And having a La Liga game being played, a real La Liga game being played in the United States, is that beneficial or is that hurtful to the future of soccer in the United States? If 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 by doing this you unlock Pandora's box and let's say La Liga or the EPL con- uh, continue to do this and one of those leagues becomes the biggest league in the United States. And you could argue that, that that it's already happened with the EPL. But if there's not even any question anymore and it completely shuts down what exists here, is that good for soccer in the United States? And I know there's people out there listening that say, yeah, that's that's good. And me, if anybody that's followed me, will understand that that I believe in the marketplace decides and the consumer decides. But when it comes to foreign entities, and this is what, what it would be, foreign entities coming in and uh, providing a competition, is that something that's good? So I'm going to be fascinated to see whether U.S. soccer believes that this is something that they are going to approve for the good of the future of the game in the United States or what their reasoning is for approving it other than saying, look, this is the United States and we believe in competition. Even if that competition comes from elsewhere, these are people coming into the market. And if you're so good MLS, if you're so good USL, if you're so good anybody else out there, figure out a way to compete with that. And, and may the best league and the best soccer win. But ultimately, if people are kicking the ball, whether they're kicking a ball because they, uh, because they are gaga over MLS or whether they're kicking a ball because they're gaga, gaga over a league that isn't even in the country that they represent, have at it. I don't know what, how that's going to play out. Do you think that this is a good thing, Mossy, for soccer in the United States? Yes, uh, I think one game. Uh, I don't. I don't think there's too much harm in it. I, I hear what you're saying. You, you know, if you're MLS, you don't want La Liga to become too popular and get maybe too big of a foothold here. But I think one game. Be interesting to see what game they would put. I mean, hopefully it's not like Alaves Valladolid. I mean, if you're gonna do this, make it a game that's worthwhile. But uh, yeah, you, you want to hear a damning stat that speaks to how La Liga might be feeling a little flat uh, going into this season. Uh, Real Madrid beat Getafe two nil this past weekend in their opener. There were only 48,000 people at the Santiago Bernabeu. The last time Real Madrid played a La Liga home match that had less than 50,000 in the building was the last match they played before Cristiano Ronaldo arrived in May of 2009. Uh, he arrives yeah. nine they years. Gotta do, they got to do something. <laughs> they got to do something. Yeah. Just uh, one quick thought on the opening round of La Liga, only because I mentioned this last week, so I want to follow up on it. Uh, Barcelona beat uh, Alaves uh, 3-0. And listen, it, it's great to have this uh, this super squad. They had a bench of that was worth 300 million euros. But again, keeping everybody happy could be an issue. Uh, Coutinho didn't start this game, which a lot of people were surprised about. In the preseason and even the Super Cup, you know, people don't look at, you know, you can hide behind this idea of fitness and guys coming back from the World Cup. But the first league game, people start to draw conclusions. And when he wasn't in the starting lineup, everybody was shocked. They were nil-nil at the half. They brought him on. He played well. The team played better. He scored a beautiful goal. Messi got two. They win three-nil. All's well that ends well. But now there's like, you know, people are looking ahead to their next game and wondering, is Coutinho going to start that game? And if not, is this the, the start of a thing here? Arturo Vidal came on for the last few minutes for Sergio Busquets when the game was already in the bag. And okay, he's just arrived. Again, you can under the guise of he's still settling in, but he's going to eventually want a bigger role than just being Busquets' caddy and coming in every now and then when Busquets, Busquets needs a breather. Malcolm didn't play. Artur, the kid who I love, just came on for the last 15 minutes. They've got 
uh, a lot of players there. He's going to have to manage that week to week and, and rotate a lot to keep everybody happy. I even wonder if Suarez, who showed some signs of slippage last season, had a terrible World Cup and hasn't looked good so far this season, he might lose his untouchable status. He might need to enter those rotations. They might play some lineups without a center forward just so he can, Valverde can get creative there and keep everybody happy. So that was my one observation of La Liga. In, in Italy, by the way, Ronaldo didn't score, but I thought played really well. Created a lot of danger, uh, was unlucky not to score. So uh, I, I, I'm very high on this move. I respect the hell out of him for going there at this stage in his career. And I think he's going to do great. And even after this first game where he didn't score, I still think he's going to do great. Uh, I thought it was a very solid start for him. All right. Well, we'll see if any of this translates to whether it's a La Liga team, whether it's an EPL team, whether it's a Bundesliga team, whether it's a Serie A team, actually playing a meaningful game in the future on American soil. I will just I'll finish it with this because I was looking at it from a perspective of an American, but I also know that when this was talked about in the past, there was also some indignation from the other side in that, why are we doing that? That's an insult to our supporters. That's an insult to our culture that we are doing something like this on uh, on foreign soil when this is this is ours and there's a, a protectionism when it comes to it, which is, which is going to be very, very interesting. I don't know what the uh, what the reaction is from the from the general uh, Spanish populace out there is going to be, but I do know that the uh, representation for the players, players union association, I don't know what it is over there, uh, were not happy when they heard uh, when they heard this news. So I think there's still a lot of fighting to happen before this actually becomes a reality. But they talked about the potential of it actually happening this season. So we will keep an eye on that whether we are able to see uh, legit uh, La Liga games on U.S. soil in the future and how that affects both La Liga and that brand, but also how it affects American soccer going forward and the people and the play on and off the field that we talk about. All right, Mossy. I love your uh, Mossy Makes the Case. That was an interesting one. Moving on. Ask Alexi. All right, it's time for our Ask Alexi segment, the hashtag Ask Alexi uh, that you use on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook. You can hit us up there with your comments, your questions, your concerns. Good, bad, in the middle, doesn't really matter. And if you're lucky, at some point, as is about to happen, my good friend David Mossy will read one of those comments or questions on a State of the Union podcast. All right, what do the people want to know today? Uh, first up, at J. Williams Actor. Uh, this question, no doubt inspired by Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Uh, what is your opinion on players not playing on turf? Uh, I think it's weak. I think it's weak because this is not a surprise. Uh, this is not something that any player doesn't know about when coming to MLS or coming to the United States. Uh, and and I'm using that as an example. I know that there are turf fields that are in existence in other places, but let's just, uh, it, you're absolutely right. It is because this weekend, uh, the Los Angeles Galaxy, which are fighting for a playoff spot, went up to Seattle without uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic because Seattle, as we all know, plays on a synthetic surface. And uh, the Galaxy got destroyed. They were depleted anyway with a bunch of starters, but Zlatan's absence, because he is Zlatan, is always going to create uh, interest and, in this case, controversy for him not playing because of turf. Uh, this has also happened in the past with, uh, with Thierry Henry at times, although he did play at times on turf. And, by the way, Zlatan has played on turf before. Uh, I do think that it's weak. Uh, I think that, and especially when it comes to Zlatan, this is a player who literally, and when I say literally, I know I talk to my kids about using literally, I'm going to use this in the correct way. Literally was introduced next to a lion 
and compared to a lion. <laughs> not playing on turf is not lion-esque, okay? It's much more of a sheep type of move. And I understand, and I saw uh, on Twitter, and I heard from LA Galaxy fans who are fine with it because Ziggy Schmidt has a responsibility to get this team to the playoffs and to do well. And if he believes that resting Zlatan, who we all know is coming off a very serious knee injury, if he believes that not playing him on turf is going to help him to that end, that's what he's doing. But don't position this player as a lion if he's not going to be able to play on turf. Because you know what? Lions, they're not afraid of anything. And they don't back down from anything. And they sure as hell don't beg off when it comes to playing on turf. I'd love to see an actual lion play on turf. That would be fun. Uh, that's my reaction uh, to, uh, to, to that decision. And it might work out. And it might be good player management. We talk about player management all the time and rotation and, and minutes and making sure that you might lose a, a, a battle here or there, but you win the war in the, in the long term. I, I, I get all that. But this is Latan, And he is, by, by his own admission, special and, uh, and godlike. Well, this decision was anything but. So I, I, it, it did rub me the wrong way, and I do get the issues, and I do hear that argument. And, you know, if I was playing on the Galaxy, which I'm not, and they have enough problems as it is, but if I was playing on the Galaxy, and I was one of those, one of the, a member of the team that went up to Seattle and got their asses handed to, I would not be happy with Zlatan. And I would tell him so. And I don't think they have anybody that would ever do that <laughs> to Zlatan. And so it's just going to go on, and uh, they live to fight another day. But, yeah, I thought it was weak. Uh, what else we got here, Mossy? All right, next up, this is a topic we discussed last week, but I suppose it's worth revisiting. At La Luz del Ritmo 25, if you were Real Madrid, would you spend 175 million euros on Eden Hazard? Uh, keep in mind, since we had that conversation, they lost the UEFA Super Cup to Atletico Madrid, but Hazard has come out and said categorically he will be at Chelsea this season, so make of that what you will. So what do you think? Would you spend big on Eden Hazard? Well, regardless if it's going to happen or not, yes, I would. Uh, I would have moved heaven and earth to try to do that. And I do believe, and we just talked about it, what Real Madrid is in this moment is less than Galactico, okay? And if this is what you have positioned yourself for so many years, and not just positioned, but lived up to that position for so many years, then you are at the mercy of a public that is going to expect you to go and spend a lot of money and get big players. Now, look, they, have, they certainly have plenty of big, big names out there, and that's important. But when you're talking about Barcelona and when you're talking about Real Madrid, there is an expectation. And not just an expectation internally from their fans, but just an, a, an expectation in general from people that follow soccer and even people that don't follow soccer that this is where I'm going to see the best players in the world. And if you can't put the best players in the world on a platform on a consistent basis, then uh, you're going to be questioned. And if you do that, then you give yourself a very small margin for error and you better win and you better win consistently because even in the past, when they lost, at least you they lost while you were looking at something special. And this applies to both Barcelona and, and to Real Madrid, but certainly Real Madrid right now, and we just talked about Cristiano leaving and, and what they are or maybe what they aren't going forward. 
you you better win. And it puts much more pressure on that team to find a way to win right now than if you have and there's a there's a pressure with with the stars, but you're not living up to that and you're losing. And if you if you're going to you can maybe get away with one of those things, but if you're not doing either of those things, then you got big problems if you're a super club. Yeah, keep in mind, the Madrid media is uh, way more hung up on getting a center forward than they are on Eden Hazard. And also, keep in mind, uh, UEFA did away with the whole cup-tied thing, so I think some clubs might take the tact here of, let's see what we have for half a season, and then maybe we'll we'll, we'll make a big move in January. The January uh, transfer market could be crazy, because now you, you sign a player, he could play in any of the competitions you're still in. It wouldn't have been an issue with Hazard and Real Madrid, because as Alex Dowd knows only too well, Hazard is in the Europa League, and so going from Europa League to Champions League, that was always allowed, but... But Real Madrid could theoretically, I don't know, Tottenham gets knocked out in the uh, group stage of the, the Champions League and they, they decide they want to sign Harry Kane in January to try to win the Champions League again. You know, So that could have, So that cup tied thing is something to be aware of. It no longer is an issue. All right, Mossy, is that it for uh, Ask Alexi? That is it. All right, moving on. The back three. All right, we're getting down to the end of it here with our back three, uh, some of the biggest stories or games or moments. Uh, Mossy, tee us up with these back three. What do we got? All right, first up, the U.S. Uh, men's national team has a friendly coming up against Brazil September 7th at MetLife Stadium. That is uh, live on FS1. I believe you'll be involved in that coverage. Michael Bradley gave an interview recently where he said he's spoken to Dave Serkin but was coy on whether he thought he'd be called up for this game. There's... Young players popping up everywhere that everybody's excited about. Uh, what do you think? Is this the game to bring some of the older guys back from exile, or you'd prefer to stick with the kids? No, I stick with the kids. We talked about this last week. I believe that this is this is my um, bathwater theory, right? Uh, at a time in the past where you wouldn't throw the, the babies out with the bathwater, or at least all of them, and you would retain some of that uh, undoubted experience uh, and maturity, this is where this is a situation and a unique situation where where you don't. And once again, Dave Sarakin, who we know is in this interim type of position, who will, will end up of being uh, having been the interim uh, coach of the U.S. men's national team for what amounts to probably around a year and plenty of games. And for all intents and purposes, we should just call him one of the national team coaches in history, given the length of time and the amount of games that he will have ended up uh, coaching. But we all know that they are looking at somebody else. Once again, it's difficult because if this is not going to be the coach, then it's very it, it's very hard to analyze and to look because somebody else could come in and have a completely different idea of what's going on. We have a brand new general manager in Ernie Stewart uh, who has been very, very low key and certainly hasn't been public about what he's looking for as he goes through this process to find a coach. But uh, once again, I, I, I say you play the kids. I say you look at the Olympic team to the extent that you can, given some limitations and challenges that you out, have out there, and you get the best core to be part of that Olympic team and have that core, have that ownership going forward after those two years to then take the national team, the full national team, to the World Cup and to right a wrong and to start a new history uh, and to recognize that while the failures of the past are part of our history, to say, you know what, it's not happening on my watch and we are going to be something new, we are going to be something improved, we are going to be something better going forward and we're going to do that with a, a youthful exuberance but with the same type of American belief that has for so many years fueled this team. 
Uh, incidentally, Brazil have named their squad for this game. Let me uh, give a few thoughts on it here. Uh, stronger than I thought. I mean, to hear the Brazilian media tell it, uh, it was going to be wholesale changes. Don't need to see any of the World Cup guys right now. Let's just test out new players. But no, uh, he named the squad with 13 World Cup holdovers. Would have been 14, but Ederson pulled out for personal reasons. So if you're thinking of buying a ticket to this game, plenty of star power there. Neymar, Coutinho, Firmino, I mean, Casemiro, Thiago Silva, they'll, they'll all be there. As far as new players to keep an eye on, we'll talk more about this game when it gets closer. But uh, there's a center forward, Pedro, who's all the rage in Brazil right now. The top scorer in the Brazilian league plays for Fluminense. He gets in there in place of Gabriel Jesus, which is interesting. He's this big target striker that people think Brazil are missing. Kind of reminds me of Zlatan a little bit. And then in the midfield, you've got Artur, the Barcelona kid I've been raving about. Andres Pereira, Manchester United gets in there, which I like. This kid, Lucas Paquetá, who plays for Flamengo, who I love. At right back, uh, he chose Liverpool's Fabinho, who hasn't played right back in three years. He, he, he chose him as a right back, which shows you the dearth Brazil have at that position. So much so that I'll end on this note. My good friend Fogner is in the squad, which uh, I've run out of words. Uh, so I'll just leave that alone for today and we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> for our listen, for our listeners out there, through the summer and before the summer, if you've if you listen to the pod, you will know that Mossy has just crushed Fogner from start to finish. Uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think he lived up to your low expectations when it came to the way that he played this summer. But he continues on, so he must have something. He must have pictures or something going forward. Uh, it, it is going to be interesting, though, to see this team, uh, notwithstanding the fact that that the coach is not named yet. The 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 desire for progress and the desire to be something more than we have been in the past is relative to us being able to compete against the best teams in the world. It's not being able to qualify for the World Cup. I, I, I recognize as, uh, as much of a failure as it was, the reality is that since 1986, uh, uh, starting in 1990, the U.S. had qualified for the World Cup. So that was that was never something necessarily to be celebrated or, or to be looked at as a um, as an incredible feat. That is something that is to be expected. What we want, and I'm, I'm going to speak for everyone out there, is the ability for the U.S. team when it steps on the field against the elite out there to have a confidence that we can compete. We don't have to play the exact same way. We don't have to necessarily even be as talented, but we can compete, and in a way that we haven't in the past. I don't know if that's going to happen, but when we can get games, the more that we can get, the better off we are against the elite and continually test ourselves and find where we have advanced or where we have regressed, the better off we are going to be. So that in itself is a reason to watch this game. I think you are going to see some young players that are going to be part of that core going forward. And the fact that they're playing one of the best teams in the world and a team that we are trying to find a way to compete against uh, it sets it up for something pretty nice on September 2nd. Will we have some of the old names coming back, like Michael Bradley and uh, and Josie Altador? I don't know. I've told you my thoughts going forward. But regardless, I think it's going to be fun to see this U.S. team in its first appearance post-World Cup uh, and what it looks like going forward. All right, what else? Next up, the Premier League. Uh, first off, a big injury. De Bruyne... Hurt his knee in training. We knew he was going to be out a while. He's now done all the tests, and it's been confirmed it's going to be three months. So 
He won't be back until November. Uh, the big uh, league matches he misses are away to Liverpool, away to Tottenham, probably home to Manchester United. I believe that's November 11th. That might be too soon for him. And then we still don't know Champions League who they're going to face, but he'll, he'll miss a bunch of their group games there. What do you think? I mean, we all love Kevin De Bruyne, but uh, I mean, they didn't miss him this weekend. It was Huddersfield. Uh, how, do, how does Man City cope without him for three months? Well, it's Man City. So number one, I think that they have improved. You have another year under your belt from Pep. So there's a comfort level. And I know you mentioned the uh, the behind the scenes video that is out there and, you know, the uh, the madness uh, or the genius or a combination of two of what Pep is. Uh, they have looked wonderful so far this year. I don't think that from an EPL perspective, this is this is a problem. From a Champions League, which ultimately when we talk about these I, I guess I got to make up a new one. The Super Club has become diluted to the extent that we almost need like mega clubs. So when you're talking about these mega clubs now, and there's only a handful of them in the world, it's all about Champions League and how they ultimately do in Champions League, especially if they start to sew up these titles from a domestic uh, perspective very, very quickly. And we're talking about Bayern Munich and we're talking about Juventus and obviously Man City, who has gotten off and... Uh, you took you look at the names on the uh, uh, on the sideline that aren't able to play. So that's a long way of saying no. I don't think that this is a big problem for them when it comes to Premier League. And initially, when it comes to Champions League, I don't think it's going to be uh, a, a big problem. I just think they have a wealth of uh, of riches. And as good as he is, I still think that Manchester City uh, on any given day, certainly in the Premier League, and I would argue when it comes to Champions League, even without Kevin De Bruyne, uh, can beat anybody. Uh, I want to circle back to Manchester City in the documentary you mentioned, but let's hit a couple other things in the Premier League. Uh, Chelsea beat Arsenal in a crazy game, 3-2. That's two wins out of two for Chelsea, six goals. Alex Dowd had a real skip to his step this morning. You should have seen him. Uh, Arsenal lose their first two, but it was against Man City and away to Chelsea. So do you read anything into that, or that's just a brutal schedule to start the season? So we mentioned, uh, we might, might have mentioned last week, I mentioned to somebody that when we are assessing Arsenal, we our expectations have been lowered to the point where when they lose to Man City, they're expected to lose to Man City. But that's what Arsenal is right now. And so you throw that one out. Arsenal has proven that they are a mediocre, mid-level type of team right now. And so that's the type of team that you should be assessing it against. So Chelsea has ping-ponged back and forth, but but certainly... Uh, over the last uh, over the last year has not been a great team. So I worry much more about the loss to Chelsea than I do to Man City because a Chelsea is a type of team that you should find a way to compete against. And I'm not saying beat every single time, but find a way to compete against and get points against. So that's a problem because on the first day they lost, they faced a team that was infinitely better than them. So you say, okay, fine, you lost to a much better team. But when they lost to Chelsea... They didn't lose to a team that was better than them. They they lost to a team that is on or about their level. And that's where the problem is going to be. I have no problem that they're going to rack up points against the lower teams. But in that that mid-level of team, they got to find a way to get points. Uh, And, you know, you're going to give them the benefit of the doubt and you're going to give time for this new arsenal to, to emerge. But still, if it's just the same type of results and the same type of play, but with a new coach, then what has really changed? And I think when you change somebody like Arsene Wenger, you expect something very, very different 
in not just the way that they play, but in the feeling and the confidence that the Arsenal team uh, goes about taking the field. And I don't think that we have seen that yet. And uh, you're going to get, you'll have some patience, but at some point we got to see that. Or uh, if not, it's just, man, I've seen this movie before. United lose to Brighton. Uh, frankly, I'm already bored of this Mourinho story, but uh, so they're in crisis uh, two games into the season. Anything you, you have to say about Mourinho here off this defeat? <laughs> you're, you're bored in that you think it's not, it, it's, it's not as big as people are making it out to be, or you're bored because he is getting boorish in his behavior and it's becoming so consistent that you just don't want to deal with it. It just talked about so much and it's just people making the same points over and over again. People just love talking about Manchester United. They are the Dallas Cowboys of uh, European football, regardless of whether they're good or not. They're still always a topic that leads all these shows. And so it just, uh, I don't know, until somebody comes up with like a interesting new take on it to just keep repeating the same things again but okay uh, okay so so the takes out there the takes out there are that Mourinho has uh, served his purpose and it's gotten stale as it always does and this is the time to make a break if Zinedine Zidane is out there do you make a break and bring in Zinedine Zidane if he wants to come oh absolutely I would make that change yeah why would you make that change well, you know what? I should I, two games into the season, I think it'd be incredibly harsh to to sack Mourinho. Let, let's give him a chance here. I mean, you've got guys coming back late from the World Cup and out injured, and, and let, let's let's uh, let's give him some time here and see what he has. But eventually, let's say if it doesn't get better and the issues behind the scenes are too much to overcome, and it, if if the day comes when United get to the point where they're ready to sack Mourinho, I think Zinedine Zidane would be a very intriguing option to step in. Absolutely. But but they didn't just lose this weekend. They 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 lost to Brighton, right? I mean, they they were bad though. At, at no point did you feel that Manchester United was going to flick a switch and start taking it to the opposition. They 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 did not look good. And in and of itself, okay, you can lose a game, but with all of the talk. And the Pogba and Mourinho relationship, and I know you don't want to talk. You don't want to talk about this. I, what I'm trying to get at, uh, to the bottom of it with you is that you're just sick and tired of talking about it. But that doesn't change the reality that is this Manchester United team any better? Uh, no, the early signs are not encouraging there. But like I said, we'll see. We'll give them a little bit more time. But no, I mean I, I'm not a Mourinho fan, so uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see this end badly. Can I? Uh, can I? And, I'm sorry, go ahead. One more, one more question for yeah. you, though. And, and it gets back to the Zinedine Zidane thing. Why do you think that Zinedine Zidane would have more success? I don't know that, as we've discussed. I mean, Zinedine Zidane has succeeded in one place, but I'm very intrigued to find out. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think uh, Manchester United would be an interesting next choice for him. So uh, just... just yeah, well, it would. I mean, look, it would give us plenty to talk about, and, and it would be fun to see him in a different environment. I talk all, all the time about how you know when coaches have been successful and even some that haven't always been successful but have gone to different environments and found a way to coach up teams and to found a way to keep teams uh, relevant and to keep teams progressing and at least evolving and getting better that to me is more valuable than somebody that has just done something one place and in one in, and in one environment and no way I know because everyone's going to say you know, uh, I'm going to point out Sir Alex, and I know Sir Alex wasn't only in one environment. For the most part, that's what we associate w- him him with. But uh, I I I want to see that. That's why I was so excited to see Pep 
go out and go to Germany and then obviously go to England and what he and I think that has demonstrated that he is a great coach. All right, so a perfect segue there, there actually you led me right into you think, it. You think so, there's going to be a change though? My last question: Do you think there's going to be a change by the uh, let's say by the uh, the next transfer window at uh, Manchester United? You think that uh, Mourinho would be out? No, that seems a bit too soon. I, I, they, they they do have some implosion potential this this season, but I, I don't know. I think there's still enough talent there that he'll he'll, he'll get enough results that he wouldn't get sacked that early. Uh, so that's just my my sense on it, but who knows? Uh, but so well, you know, you know, uh, Manchester United's only three points out of first. So all right. <laughs> uh, all right, go on. So Mourinho pulled kind of a, a Trumpian diversionary uh, move the last few days. He tried to stir up some phony controversy by calling Man City classless. Uh, the backstory here is, as you mentioned, Amazon released this uh, eight part documentary chronicling Man City's 2017-18 season. And you know, I gobble up this stuff. I love the Juventus Netflix one. I already plowed through this one. I love it. And in episode two, they they, they cover the first United City game last season that City won. And they, they keep repeating over and over again how Mourinho's style is all about parking the bus and Pep, this is like good versus evil. Pep plays the game the right way. Pep is attack-minded. Mourinho's negative. That was sort of the subtext throughout. They must have used the word park the bus like five times. And Mourinho got wind of that. And so he went off about it and he called Man City classless. And so that's been like a little bit of controversy. But like I said, I think it's just a Trump diversionary tactic Mourinho's using here to deflect from all the other issues going on. But the thing that I found most interesting about this documentary is Pep gave all his team talks in English. And he's so brilliant that even speaking speaking in like his fifth best language, he still managed to say some interesting things. But you could tell you're not getting like the full genius because he doesn't have the total command of the language. That's A. And B, looking around that dressing room, there were clearly players that didn't speak English that weren't understanding any of what he was saying. And I'm just fascinated by that dynamic. Uh, I mean, you when you moved to Italy, how long did it take you to learn Italian? And until then, were you just sitting there when the coach was addressing the team and not understanding a word he was saying? Yes. Uh, I did not speak Italian when I went over to Italy. I spoke a little Spanish, which certainly helped. Uh, I do remember the very first night that I was ever in Italy, I got driven right from the airport to the mountains uh, where preseason was happening. And they put me with the only player that uh, spoke any English. And I'll never forget sitting uh, that evening and uh, conjugating verbs. And uh, because, you know, he would help me and we'd go through and, and conjugate different verbs that, that, that I knew I was going to use. And it was out of necessity because I wanted to, for a couple of reasons, I wanted, to, I wanted to know what people were saying about me. I wanted to, do, to obviously be able to communicate on and off the field. And the other thing was I wanted to make sure that I uh, left a good impression. You know, the ball's going to go where the ball's going to go and people are going to talk about that. But ultimately... For me, it was a sign of respect to try to learn as quickly as I possibly could. And, you know, I, I got better and better. I wasn't afraid to mess up. And there was a time where I was speaking this incredible mix of Spanish and Italian and English and everything else. But they didn't care as long as I tried. And it was it was a they appreciated and respected the fact that I was taking the time to, to learn that language. When I've had coaches, you know, Bora in the past spoke five languages. We always joke that he spoke five languages, but he didn't speak anyone really, really well. Well, it's difficult. Everybody talks about, well, you know, you speak the same language in soccer. No, it's not really the case. And especially when it comes from someone like Pep that we know at times has been a visionary in the way that he approaches the game and the way he wants his team to play. And so you better make sure that you know exactly what he is asking you to do. Uh, lack of communication because of language can be a big, big problem. And so 
you know, I have, I have not seen the documentary yet, but you know, the way that you were explaining it, it's, it's nothing new. And especially in this day and age where, you know, all the different players and a lot of different leagues where it's predominantly uh, international players that are, uh, that are fielding some of these, uh, these teams. And in that locker room, you better have a way to communicate. And if, if a coach is communicating in one way and you don't understand, then it behooves you to figure out a way to understand what's going on. And if it's Pep and you don't understand and you don't do the things in order to understand, you can bet, and I have seen some of the highlights of this uh, this documentary, he will let you know. <laughs> and he's not afraid to scream. He is not afraid to yell at you. He's not afraid to expect more from his players. Uh, and this documentary at times does does highlight that. But I will say something about you know, the documentaries that we see out there, anytime that you insert a camera or a microphone into a situation, you are going to get a different person. You are going to get a performance. That's not always bad, but part of the reason why we see some of these things and why we react is because they are, they are interesting. They are people talking or behaving in a way that we haven't seen before, but in no way should we assume that this is actually who they are. And that's not to take anything away from your enjoyment or entertainment from watching, uh, watching these things, but life, life is a stage. No, I always... <laughs> and life is, uh, life is a performance, especially when you have a microphone or a camera uh, following you around. And you will do things and you will say things that if those things weren't involved, you would not have done or said. I always tell people, Snooki in the situation, completely different people when the cameras weren't on. I mean, they were. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, let's uh, let's end on this MLS rivalry week. I've got a game that I'm working this Wednesday, actually. Uh, the New York Derby, NYCFC against the Red Bulls on FS1, and then you've got uh, Galaxy against LAFC. You've got Portland, Seattle. Tons of big games uh, coming up in the in the next few days. What has you most excited about uh, rivalry week? Well, you mentioned uh, the continuation of uh, El Trafico and, and what Bob Bradley and John Thorrington and that entire organization at LAFC have done in a very short order is to make a team on the field that is competitive each and every game. And that is a good thing. That's a good thing for Los Angeles. It's a good thing, whether they realize it or not, for the Los Angeles Galaxy. And it's a good thing for MLS. And they deserve a tremendous amount of kudos. So that's going to be fun. Uh, you know, the, the New York Red Bulls versus NYCFC is fun because these are both teams now that are at the top of of their conference uh, over there in the East that are fighting that are probably going to meet up at some point if if it all goes as planned and we know it never goes as planned but if it does go as planned probably going to meet up in the uh, playoffs so that's that's always fun and then finally Joseph Martinez and and that will be my one big thing as we end this uh, this podcast the one big thing from today's podcast is. My homage and my praise and my joy at seeing Joseph Martinez who has not just tied the record when it comes to Major League Soccer and scoring a record that has uh, stood for, what, 22 plus years. Roy Lasseter, with incredible respect to Chris Wondolowski and the players in the past, uh, sitting on 27 goals. He's going to break it. He's going to break it probably in the next game. Uh, And not only break it, he's going to smash it and probably end up in the 30s when it comes to goal scoring. Uh, This is a man that has come on and just been wonderful for Atlanta and for this league. And he is worth the price of admission. I am going to be very interested to see if people do come calling what that price tag is, because this is this is not just a recognized good player. This is a recognized good player 
who scores goals. And we all know that the, the, the goal scores, there's nothing more important in our game than putting the ball in the back of the net. And this is what this guy does on a continual, uh, a continual basis. He deserves all the praise that people are giving him and continue to give him for what he has done. I will be very, very interested, as I said, if somebody does come calling what Atlanta does, given the fact that Atlanta, from a financial perspective, they don't need to sell him. I'm not even sure they want to sell him. But more importantly, and this has nothing to do necessarily with money. This has everything to do with environment. And this is where the art of buying and selling players and and recruiting players and and, uh, finding players and assessing players comes in. Environment matters. Putting a player in an environment where he or she is comfortable and where he or she can excel is crucial. And so watching Joseph Martinez, he is in an environment that obviously he is eating up and enjoys. And if you were to take him out of that environment and put him someplace else, who knows? Maybe he can continue to do what he's doing. Or maybe he gets in an environment and... The angles are just a little bit off. The daily routine of living his life is just a little bit off. Maybe it just doesn't work someplace else. I know we'd want to see that and it'd be fun to see that. But right now, just be thankful that we are able to see a player in his prime scoring goal after goal after goal, obliterating the record when it comes to MLS. And as I said before, I do think he's going to continue on and hold that record for some time as he gets into probably the 30s. And he will be playing against himself when it comes to trying to uh, break that record if he continues on in MLS. But also a tremendous amount of credit goes to Tata Martino and to that entire organization for creating an environment that has obviously nurtured him and created a situation that feeds into what he is able to do so well, which is put the ball on the back of the net. Uh, I'll be interested to see that moment. It will be a piece of history. It'll be a piece of history for Atlanta, for the player, obviously, but more importantly, for Major League Soccer to have a new champion, all-time leading goal scorer when it comes to a single season in Major League Soccer. And so uh, when you can watch Joseph Martinez in Atlanta in these next couple of games, be on the lookout because it's going to happen for a piece of history that I think will stand for a long time. And if it doesn't stand, it's only because the man himself uh, starts breaking it in the future. All right, that has been our State of the Union for today. Mossy, thank you so much. Anything to add before we go, Mr. Mossy? Bundesliga this upcoming weekend. Yes. Uh, as I mentioned, I will be back starting on Friday with the kickoff of our Bundesliga coverage on Fox. I can't wait to get that going uh, with all of our friends there. Uh, and then I'll be going back across the country for the New York Red Bulls and D.C. United game. Wayne Rooney flying high right now, leading this D.C. United as it really is Luciano Acosta, who's the real star there. Three wins in a row from D.C. United, all at home in that brand new stadium. Uh, they are flying right now, but it's a different type of proposition to go into uh, Red Bull Arena and face a Red Bulls team up north there in New Jersey. But I will be there bringing that one to you. All sorts of soccer going on uh, this week and certainly this week, and I hope you're enjoying all of it. Thank you so much for tuning in to yet another episode of the State of the Union podcast. We will talk again next week, and as always, size the day. <laughs>